Uh, in the early 1900s, um, there was a, a very cruel experiment conducted to test the impact of insults and ridicule on the development of children's languages. So they specifically gathered together a group of children who spoke and sounded normal and who had no stutter or speech impediment, and, and they gathered them all into one class together. And after a couple of days, they started to insult the children, ridiculing them for the way that they pronounced words and insulting their accents, when in reality, they all spoke fine. There was nothing wrong with the way they talked. But what they found was that over time, most of these kids progressively began to develop stutters in their speech. And most of those kids never lost those stutters, even in adulthood. You've probably heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may, will never hurt me. And, and I know that I used to say that as a kid, and a lot of us did. But I think it's probably one of the biggest lies of all time. In my life, um, I'm only 28, but I've broken my arm, I've torn a ligament in my foot, I've thrown out my back and permanently damaged it. Uh, but in, in some way or another, all of those things have over time healed to some degree, to, to the point where you can at least live with them. But many of the things that have been said, even to me in my life, cut deep enough that you can't forget them. They, they stick with you. You remember them your whole life. And I'm sure that everyone here can relate. Because at some point in all of our lives, someone has said something hurtful to you, or you've said something hurtful to someone else that caused pain or insulted you. Usually, usually these things are said in a moment of anger. Um, usually um, they're regretted either right away or a short time later. Uh, but the words last forever. Uh, they stick with you. Our tongues have the power to build up, to enable, to encourage, and to lift others up. But they also have the power to tear down, to destroy, to cause damage and pain and hurt. So far during this series in James, he's dealt with a number of issues, and he has a knack for uh, picking up on these kind of timeless issues that everyone can relate to, no matter whether you were born 2,000 years ago or today. And this week is no different. It's less of exhortation and more of warning. The tongue is such a small part of the body. But even though it's the small part of the body, it's powerful. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to watch what our tongues say. It's hard for us as the church to share the love of Jesus with the world if our tongues are occupied with tearing others down, gossiping, spreading lies, or spewing out just general garbage. And what we'll see this week is that we can't have it both ways. Every Christian must control their tongue because words have the power to destroy. So this week we're in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and I'll read this in NIV. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. 
Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, setting the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So that's our passage this week. Uh, you may have noticed those first two verses seem a little disjointed from the rest of it. We kind of talked about that at the beginning, um, how James kind of puts in these little tidbits. It's all loosely connected to each other, but it's just kind of like, here's a little piece of something, and then I'll talk about this other thing. So we have a bit of that going on here when he talks about teachers. He says, not many of you should become teachers, because you know that we who teach will be judged strictly. We all stumble in, any, in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So, during the first century when this was written, teachers played an extremely prominent role in society and in the church because most people couldn't read, most people did not have access to sacred writings. We all have copies of the Bible. Some of us have many copies. But back then, if you wanted to hear the scripture, you had to go to the synagogue or to the church. There was one copy of each scroll. If you were lucky, you had a good number in your synagogue, uh, and the priest would read them. But that was how you learned about doctrine and, and theology as a Jew. And as Christians as well, they had to come here from their teachers. And so uh, teachers kind of had a, a bit of prestige in that time and age. Uh, because uh, that is where all the, um, I guess the interpretation of everything came from. And so there was not a lot of opportunities if you were in a lower class to advance in status. And so if you were a leader in the church or in, in the synagogues and, and you, uh, you pursued that path, you learned the scriptures, you learned how to read, you, you gained a certain amount of prestige over time. And so that probably would have attracted a lot of people because, again, there were not a lot of opportunities to advance in your status. So it's quite likely that James was worried about people becoming teachers for the wrong reasons. And he warns them, if you are a teacher, you are going to be judged much more harshly for your actions. And that makes sense because when you consider teachers of Scripture then and now, are the ones who are studying God's word for extensive periods of time, which means you have no excuse for not knowing the truth. <laughs> and that's why it's, it's almost scary once you um, study more in the scriptures and pursue it, is because once you know the truth, you can't ignore it or pretend you don't know it. Teachers are also held to a higher standard by God because their words influence people. 
If as a teacher you lead people astray, whether intentionally or unintentionally through laziness or not properly studying the scriptures, are the people who are led astray at fault or is the leader who led them astray? And so that is where um, this passage, when you're studying it, hits home for people like me. <laughs> because um, you have to remember that if you slack in your work studying the scriptures, if anything you do leads people astray, you're responsible. And so what he's really saying is that for those of us who choose to teach, there's a huge responsibility both for how we choose to lead, the words we choose to use, and what we teach. And what he's saying to these people who are pursuing um, this, this status um, that they would have had in the first century is, don't rush into this unless you've actually considered what it is you're asking for. If you have truly understood what it means, if you've felt God's call on your life, and if you've counted the cost, great. But if you haven't, understand you are inviting a lot stricter judgment on yourself. So he's saying you need to understand exactly what it is you're asking for. And then he kind of digresses from this for the rest of this passage into um, our tongues and our words and what the impacts of that is as Christians. So he says in verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And this is where he's connecting to the tongue. We put bits in the mouths of horses to steer them and make them obey us and make them go in this direction or that direction. And similarly, when we control our tongues and our words, we control our entire being. He says the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. And there were three things that made ships of that day super difficult to control. The first was that they were really big. Uh, the second, strong wings. They kind of were blown around a lot. And third, the rudders were very small. When you compare it to the size of the ship and the power of the wind, the rudder was small, but it set the direction for the entire ship. Even though it's just a small little thing, just the words you say, uh, it, it can set the direction of your entire life. So in the same way, when we control our tongues, we set the course of our lives. And these were common illustrations in the ancient Mediterranean world, you know, um, things that people were familiar with. The, the farmers and, and the sea bears, um, they were familiar with these illustrations. The point he's making is that the tongue is incredibly powerful, but it's deceptively insignificant, or it, it seems insignificant. So he says in verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. And that's something we can relate to in the news. Every single summer, the huge wildfires that we see out west and in California. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, setting the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And this is where he really gets into some negative imagery about the tongue. 
Um, up until now, he said not everyone should be a teacher because teachers will be judged harshly. Uh, but now he gets into um, the, the evil side of our words. Not only is the tongue powerful, it is also like an evil fire which corrupts the body. James said in chapter 1, verse 27, that true religion keeps oneself from being polluted by the world, but evil speech and words make that impossible to attain. The power of words should not be underestimated. Words have the power to cause action, to cut, to hurt, to spread lies, to tempt, and to interpret every human action. There's no evil action that the tongue can't tell or describe, and for the most part, there's no evil act that the tongue cannot initiate or put in motion. The tongue directs the body like a rudder does a ship, and its effects are thorough and total. Corrupt speech leads to corruption of the body, and the corrupted body sets in motion the evil course of an entire life. And that's what he's saying here. Because our tongue is so powerful, and because our words are so powerful, and because we live in a world of sin, our words can corrupt the rest of our lives. Verse 9 to 12, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And that's really the heart of the issue here, is that people are worshipping, but they're also using their mouths for evil things. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. With our mouths we worship God, and with our mouths we read his word. But with the same mouth, we curse others who we disagree with, people who make us angry, people who make us mad, or people we don't like. And these are people made in the image of God. James is saying the tongue is powerful, and if we use it for evil, it will corrupt all of us. In other words, we can't have it both ways. We can't use our tongues and our mouths to cut other people down, to curse and swear, to lie and gossip, and then come and use that same mouth to worship God. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. Now the word he uses here would be better translated as sweet water, or water that's good for drinking. And then the, the salt water would be better translated in the Greek as bitter water which pollutes everything it comes into contact with. So think about dirty, filthy water, or dirty bath water that someone really dirty bathed in. If you take a jug of clean drinking water and pour it into the tub of dirty water, it's all dirty. You can't go back and drink the clean water and separate it. They can't stay separate in the same tub. Neither can you use your tongue for good and evil and keep them separate in the same person. The dirty, evil side of it will overpower and pollute the clean side. The tongue is too powerful for us to tame. We can't use our words for evil things and act like it doesn't corrupt ourselves when we do. We can't do both. Either we use our mouths and words for good, or the evil things we use our words for will consume our lives. 
Jesus says in Matthew 15, 11, It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. So if we use our mouths and words for evil, it will defile us and consume our lives. A pure heart is incompatible with impure words. So, uh, before I get into all the takeaway, I'm going to do my weekly reminder that we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace. And so, um, it's not that you're going to hell if you ever say a bad thing, and it's not that you're earning your way if you don't. Um, so now that we've got that out of the way, and like I say, I'll do that every week through this series, um, there's a few things I do want us to remember and take away from this. So first of all, the tongue is powerful. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Throughout Scripture, the tongue is acknowledged as being powerful. And the reason I've said this so many this, times this week is that we don't always treat it like it's powerful. Uh, James says to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And wise people in Scripture are portrayed as those who say little. And sometimes we're so occupied with getting our words in that we're not listening. And sometimes in the heat of the moment, our words may have unintended consequences. We don't really acknowledge the power that our words can have, or really think through what that should mean for our lives and the way that we interact with others. We don't put a ton of thought into our words, we just sort of say things. And some people just say whatever they're thinking, without considering whether or not they should say it at all. So here's a few more great verses that talk about the power of words and what that should mean for us as Christians, um, recognizing the power that they have. So Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 10.19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. And then Proverbs 15.4, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And that last verse comes into my second takeaway point. The tongue is perverse. And that's the second thing you should remember is that it's evil or corrupted, and that is because we are sinful people. And as sinful people, the inclination of our heart is, of course, towards sin. We are easily tempted. Like we said a few weeks ago, it's always much easier for us, uh, by default, to be angry than to be humble and submissive. It is also much easier to let our tongues wag freely and unchecked than to keep a tight rein on what we say, to have a filter. But our words get us into trouble. Whether it's sharing things you shouldn't be sharing with someone who doesn't need to know, or saying something mean to somebody, maybe flirting with the wrong person. Our tongues can get us into trouble very quickly. So it is good to be aware of this, and to be aware of where our words can take us, and to ask ourselves whether something really needs to be said before you say it. In Psalm 141, verses 3 to 4, it says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I may take part in wicked deeds, along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. 
Wherever our words go, we will eventually follow. Before long, our tongues can corrupt our lives, so we have to be mindful and careful of that. And really, the, the whole point of that is, yeah, we don't save ourselves, but once you're aware that that is true, then you can address it and, uh, and change things in your life accordingly. And so this all brings me to my last point, which is that the tongue is polluted, or the tongue pollutes. The language that James used is that of clean and bitter water. You can't keep them separate in a bathtub. That's kind of what I've said before, is that you take the jug of clean water, pour it into the dirty water, you're not going to take a cup and take a swig of the gross water. Uh, the clean water is now dirty. In the same way, the tongue pollutes the soul. If you use your words for evil, it will corrupt you. You cannot gossip, curse, and swear, cut people down, or be that guy with the temper that everyone gives the wide berth to, and still keep a pure heart. A pure heart is incompatible with the pollution of an unchecked tongue. So to conclude, we have to give our words and our tongues the respect that they deserve and recognize the power that they have. And what I mean by that is that sometimes as people, we fling them around without consequence or careful thought as to the impact that they might have. We need to recognize the power that words do have. If you remember how God created the universe, he spoke it into being. And we are created in his image. He's given us the gifts of intellect and speech. Now, we may not be speaking universes into being, but do not be deceived into thinking that our words are not powerful. Words in the hands of sinners like us can cut to the bone, destroy, corrupt, and pollute. They can also build up, encourage, support, and sustain. They can be used for good. And when in doubt, we should all take the advice of Proverbs 17, 28, which is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. I think there's another quote. I can't remember. It might have been Mark Twain, but um, it's better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove any doubt. <laughs> Our words have the power to change things. And as Christians, we need to both recognize the power of that and be very, very careful in how we choose to use that power. So as we leave here this week, let's consider how we can use our words for good. Let's take seriously the warning given to us by James and strive to be a people and a church that is known for humility, wisdom, encouragement, and support. And so my prayer for us as we leave this week is that God would guard our mouths and our hearts so that we can honor him in all that we say and all that we do. Father God, I thank you primarily that we don't have to earn our salvation because as we study a letter like James, it becomes very clear that we could never do it. And I just ask that uh, as we continue to seek your will and your word and that we, as we seek to... Um, have you change our lives, that the Holy Spirit would be working in us, uh, and that you would help us to be humble, willing servants of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.